Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 1st of February 2021 and this is episode 193. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talked to PhD candidate Kieran Taylor, studying at the University of Stirling, about his research into Belgian refugees in Glasgow during the Great War. Kieran spoke to me over the interweb from his home in Glasgow. Hi Kieran, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Thanks very much Tom. Well, I became a history teacher in 2014 and I'd previously done a degree in history and politics. I had a, quite a, a normal career trajectory in that sense and I taught for a couple of years in Scotland, um, often touching on subjects you know, like the First World War, uh, Scotland's relationship First World War, the home front and then I moved to Italy and I taught out there in an international school for a couple of years and I was fortunately um, enough to get some part-time work at the University of Milan and from that I applied for a PhD at the University of Stirling and uh, the topic just so happened to be on Belgian refugees in the First World War which I knew next to nothing about but I managed to blag my way into getting that position and here I am uh, several years later um, about to complete a PhD on uh, Belgian refugees up here. So why do you think your research is important? Well I mean if you look at news or if you've looked at the news in the last couple of years obviously the global refugee crisis has been you know or migration in general you know the kind of migration I feel like has never been out of the news Um, it's you know a hot topic we talk about it in relation to you know the economy we talk about migration in terms of our relationship with Europe the wider world obviously it's it's very important in terms of uh, contemporary American politics and you know politics in the global south you know I think if we consider the issue of migration in the past refugees immigrants you know they're not a well-studied group um, on the basis you know that often their lives were not particularly well documented you know they often ended up in the kind of lowest forms of occupation and they tended to be relatively poor and only recently you know and uh, thanks to you know genealogical studies people have become more and more interested in the uh, you know into refugees and the history of refugees and you know refugees throughout have made an enormous uh, impact on British politics and the rest of European politics so it's something that people are growing uh, or coming to realise I feel in terms of the impact that you know migrants have had general in terms So let's just start at the beginning why were there Belgian refugees in the United Kingdom during the Great War. As I'm sure many of your listeners will know, um, the, the relationship with Belgium with the First World War is of enormous importance. You know, Belgium was invaded by uh, Germany in August 1914. As a result of the, the German army's uh, movement into Belgium, uh, lots of civilians, Belgian civilians, fled. They initially fled to the coastal cities of Belgium, um, Ostend in particular. Um, and as the German army advanced, um, many refugees fled across the border in Holland and France as well but also across the sea and along the channel and into Britain and something like 250,000 Belgian refugees arrived in Great Britain between 1914 and 1918 um, and stayed for more or less the duration of the war and they went on to have quite an important impact in terms of uh, the manufacturing of munitions um, but perhaps we'll talk about that in, in another question. So in terms of the size of the migration of Belgian refugees that came across from the continent how does this rate with other uh, waves of immigrants that have come over from, the, from Europe and elsewhere? In terms of um, a comparator, or in terms of comparative experience, if you like, um, uh, Belgian refugees are estimated to be, or you know, historians tend to agree that it's the single largest migration, 250,000 people as a single unit moving for a relatively short 
short period of time. Now, if you compare that to the Irish, um, you know, who came over between the famine up to the 1930s in large numbers, um, certainly in Scotland anyway, and you know the rest of Britain, this is a much sort of um, continual process of migration over a larger and a longer period of time. Um, in the same way, if you look at the, the experience of Jewish migrants coming, you know, in the 1880s and the 1890s into Britain, um, you know, the the migration of Belgian refugees was a singular event, if you like, um, over a very short period of time with you know 250,000 people. So if we take this as a comparative um, against you know maybe South Asian migrants in the later 20th century or the Irish in the you know in the, the mid 19th century, um, the Belgian refugees really dwarfs this in terms of within the space of a couple of years. Now the most interesting thing about the the, the Belgian refugee um, phenomenon is the fact that the great majority of Belgian refugees left and they returned to Belgium after the war. And this was something that the British government were very very keen on uh, in terms of, and they paid for Belgians repatriation and they, they organised it. So despite you know Britain making some very noble gestures towards Belgian refugees from 1914 to 1918 and their uh, important role that they played in terms of uh, both contribution to the war and war propaganda, uh, you know, in, towards the end of 1918, the British government were very concerned about you know the tensions that might occur between um, you know, the the average soldier returning home and uh, especially to industrial areas and uh, you know the fact that a Belgian might take their job. So they were keen to have Belgians repatriated as quickly as possible. So if we go back to the beginning, you've got a large sure. number of Belgians coming over from the continent. How was the UK state aiming to care for them as well as fight fight a war? So the British government initially handed over um, responsibility for Belgian refugees to the War Refugees Committee, which was a voluntary committee set up by a number of aristocratic ladies, um, Edith Littleton, um, and a number of kind of liberal peers, um, Herbert Gladstone, um, quite a number of sort of uh, prominent aristocrats and philanthropists were involved. And the local government board, the, the organisation responsible for the poor and the infirm at that time in Britain, really took responsibility um, in terms of passing a devolving responsibility for refugee affairs initially to this uh, a charitable organisation the War Refugees Committee. Over time, however, as the scale of refugees increased, the British government steadily became more and more involved. However, they were keen to ensure that it didn't look as if that the British state was becoming involved, so they almost created a screen. And whilst the local government board uh, provided finance towards the War Refugees Committee, they made it look as if that these uh, contributions were more or less from the general public. Nevertheless, you know, the, the War Refugees Committee was very, very well supported by the general public, and, you know, there was a considerable amount of of humanitarian support um, towards Belgium because of, as I said, you know, the relationship of uh, Belgian refugees to, to the war and, you know, the defence of Belgium being uh, critical to the average person's streets understanding of why Britain was at war. And were refugees allocated to given geographical areas or were they sort of um, sent to various places where offers of help came came from? So initial arrival to Great Britain tended to arrive in the, the port of Folkestone. However, over time what was happening was Belgians tended to congregate in London and initial months of the war and they were put in the Alexandra Palace. However, over time what happened was Belgian refugees began to be dispersed, often to rural areas. Um, wartime restrictions prevented um, aliens of any, you know, enemy aliens or friendly aliens which the Belgians were classed as, uh, residing too near port areas. So over time Belgian refugees were sent uh, to, to certain areas, often in the countryside um, and to a lesser extent the London boroughs up to Glasgow where there was a, you know, 20,000 Belgian refugees resided in the, the Glasgow area. Sorry, when you go, Tom. So we come to we come to Belgian refugees who who end up in in Glasgow. Who exactly were they, and do they come?
come from any distinct social class or region within Belgium itself? So the research that I look at uh, comes from Glasgow City Archives, which the records posted within Glasgow. And they have a, a huge volume of maybe 8,000 names of refugees that arrived in Glasgow. It's a really fantastic resource. Um, and so that's that's a great archive for me to, to go through and find out a bit more. Because most interestingly, the refugees' occupation and their residence in Glasgow and their residence in Belgium. So it's a really great resource to, to compare the experience of Belgium uh, in Belgium and then their, their, life, their life in Scotland as well. So some of the things we know about uh, Belgians were that they tended to be, uh, not universally, but there was a, there was a large number who were middle class. Uh, they tended to be from urban areas, um, uh, Brussels, Ostend, the likes, um, and they often tended to have uh, you know skills. Um, there's numerous instances of uh, Belgians who were you know surgeons, doctors, and things like that being employed as tram inspectors. Uh, you know, and really having to wait before they could have their skills accepted uh, to work. Um, but additionally, you know, there was also a core of Belgian skilled working class who easily found work in munitions factory because this is really where they were seen as critical in terms of their support for munitions and because obviously the impact treatments uh, on uh, employment you know there was there was a shortage of uh, those with skills to work in these sort of um, jobs and so what what were the challenges facing the municipal authorities of Glasgow in caring housing and feeding these people so as you can imagine having um, you know tens of thousands of people arrive without a home you know where you know without any sort of access to uh, you know any finance to support themselves and um, perhaps with maybe only the clothes on their back you know this was an enormous responsibility to take charge of. So Glasgow Corporation, the, the municipal authority uh, of the time, uh, used available workhouses, used available um, model lodging facilities designed for the homeless, um, temporary shelters basically, um, and uh, and they also established temporary shelters in the likes of uh, the children's hospital. And they used basically these municipal and buildings to accommodate refugees initially. Um, obviously this was something that was you know used for troops as well during the wartime, the, the emergency crisis, you know, these public facilities being turned into um, use for the home front. Um, nevertheless, over time, this wasn't necessarily sustainable. It wasn't necessarily a, a great way to, to look after a foreign, uh, mostly middle class. There was actually a great deal of concern about, you know, why uh, middle class Belgian refugees were being treated in um, institutions that were really designed for the poor. Um, so over time, what happened was um, the Glasgow Corporation approached the, uh, the citizens of Glasgow itself and refugees were billeted. Uh, this wasn't a formal process, um, like evacuation later or the billeting of soldiers at earlier periods or during this time but it was a process where people basically applied you know if they had a spare room and Belgian refugees went to stay with basically some of Glasgow's um, uh, better off citizens um, in their spare rooms um, or in vacant homes of the wealthy uh, which were turned over to Glasgow Corporation as almost permanent shelters uh, for refugees. And was there a wider charitable and sort of um, public response to the arrival of Belgian refugees within Glasgow? Certainly across the United Kingdom there was a you know a, a strong phenomenon towards supporting Belgian refugees um, which you know over time did decline but nevertheless it was pretty sustained until 1918 and if you look at war propaganda you see that uh, Belgian refugees still feature you know in war propaganda up until 1918 nevertheless in Glasgow you, you have a similar phenomenon people very interested in uh, housing refugees you have people who particularly children there's a real drive to support Belgian refugee children initially however um, obviously the municipal authority had to explain that it was only uh, families that, that tended to come together so this was a bit of a disappointment for many people nevertheless you know the, a wide cross-section of the society universities um, the reformed churches the catholic church really donated heavily and really urged their, their um, parishioners to, to donate towards
towards refugees. Nevertheless, it wasn't universal either. Uh, there was some socialist um, anxiety towards Belgian refugees and the Independent Labour Party, who were, you know, just beginning the kind of Red Clyde side movement, if you like, at that period, uh, were uh, concerned about the hypocrisy shown toward uh, the treatment of poor in Glasgow, the native poor, versus the treatment uh, given to Belgian refugees. And um, the newspaper Forward was the Independent Labour Party's kind of mouthpiece at the time, uh, often regaled sort of anecdotal evidence about this hypocritical treatment by Glass Corporation and its liberal ruling elite, you know, which was quite an interesting uh, take for the time if we think about, you know, how uh, contemporary left-wing uh, movements are, are very, um, you know, open to uh, refugees and um, uh, my migrants generally. So what did the refugees do and were they allowed to work? So initially there was a considerable concern by the trade unions about the impact of a foreign, a large foreign population on uh, work and working opportunities in places like Glasgow and other industrial cities there have been you know, several downturns, economic downturns with, uh, prior to the war and there was real concern at the beginning of the war that there would actually be a large-scale unemployment. Obviously this wasn't the case, you know, employment boomed during the war on the home front. Um, so Belgian refugees were employed in, in a large number of industries, as I said most importantly munitions um, across the United Kingdom, uh, especially in Glasgow we see Belgian refugees being employed in a number of munitions factories, but also in engineering and the likes of of, uh, weir pumps, uh, factories and boilers, weir's boilers, but also in uh, those industries which tended to be the most uh, difficult to access, such as um, shipbuilding, um, which tended to be a bit of a shock to those from outside. But also Belgian refugees took employment in, you know, as farm labourers and in, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, a, a few other occupations as domestic servants as well. But sadly, however, there were, a, there were a hardcore of refugees that couldn't be found places, mostly those who had been um, employed in kind of professional services. Uh, uh, the likes of, you know, lawyers, uh, academics, sadly, um, you know, th- their skills weren't in much demand. And there's uh, kind of anecdotal uh, accounts of refugees who give their uh, profession as intellectual um, and, you know, n- refusing work that they uh, find unbecoming. Or, for instance, there's a the case of a refugee who was a famous pianist in Belgium. And he's concerned that if he works in, um, you know, a munitions workshop, that he might potentially lose a finger and damage any future chance uh, of uh, playing the piano. So th- this was a kind of a, a bit of a, a, an aspect, an important aspect of uh, the employment of refugees. Were there any tensions between the Denzins of Glasgow and the refugees themselves? Uh, yeah, so this is a phenomenon that we see, you know, again, throughout um, the, the First World War, mostly against Germans, there was a great deal of xenophobia. Um, there was a, a kind of problem where many Belgians at the start of the war were misidentified as Belgians. There was a couple of incidences of this, or Belgian refugees were arrested by kind of overzealous police officers who might have thought that there were German spies. So this was, you know, in 1914, this is one of the major concerns. But as the war progressed, it really became about jobs and access to, to jobs and refugees' impact upon welfare, all these sorts of things began. To, to, to take an influence on local politics. However, over time, you know, refugees, many refugees, particularly children, became immersed in the, the educational system. And I think this really helped um, benefit uh, the communities, uh, the Belgian community and the, the native Scottish community. Um, and as refugees began to work in, in workshops, well, this obviously uh, created, um, you know, positive relationship as people got to know one another. There was also a number of um, ceremonial and symbolic events where Belgian refugees would plant trees or they would give kind of formal gift or they would, you know, uh, have concerts where the Belgian, you know, an elected representative of the Belgian refugees would maybe thank the local population for their hospitality. And these were really designed by those organisations that were in charge of really to basically ease the um, 
ease relationships between the local community uh, and Belgian refugees. So, and how did Belgian refugees sort of cope with the climate of Glasgow and the, sort of the diet and, and the way of life? Were, were there sort of letters of regret that, that they didn't have the things they had at home? Uh, do you know, I've not come across any sort of uh, evidence to, to say, to mention much about the weather, um, although I think that in itself was quite interesting. We do see uh, refugees and those representative of refugees, including a number of Belgian priests um, who work for the Catholic Church, um, make references to the treatment of Belgian refugees in institutions, which is quite interesting. And, you know, they really say that the treatment of Belgian refugees in institutions, workhouses, model lodging facilities is inappropriate. And there was a real fear in Belgium about uh, these sort of facilities because in Belgium, I think it was like, you know, criminally, uh, you had to be sentenced through the court to an institution and they were they took on a much sort of, I mean, the workhouses were hard, but uh, there was a real association with um, austerity and uh, in, institutions for many Belgians. So this was a, this was a key aspect of, of this type of relationship. So Belgian refugees, they did just, you know, they, they didn't seem to record uh, any sort of evidence about the weather, um, which was surprising given, you know, Glasgow's uh, terrible weather. I'm looking out the window just now and it's, it's absolutely pouring down and I'm thinking of poor Belgians that may have come across and been faced with something similar. Um, however, uh, what we do see is the da- the kind of menus of the institutions that catered for Belgian refugees, they did have an adapted menu. The menus that were usually provided to Scots, which were kind of bread, tea, jam, soup, stew, took on a slightly different you know, variation. Uh, and this seems to be one of the, one, one of the aspects um, that's discussed among the matrons who are in charge of Belgian institutions about you know, what Belgians like to eat, uh, how can we better cater for them. Um, in terms of did the Belgians miss home, certainly yes they did. And what you saw throughout the war uh, is gradually Belgians, as it became safer in Belgium, they began to return um, in small numbers. And, and actually by the end of the war, um, you know, several hundred thousand, by 1980, several hundred thousand Belgians probably returned um, uh, in small numbers. So certainly there was a degree of missing home. But additionally, you know, I, I think it's easy to presume that, you know, it wasn't necessarily easy to get overseas at that point in time. But many Belgians returned to Belgium, they went to Holland, and then they came back again to Britain, you know, picking up family members, or indeed, um, you know, going to try and find work in um, the industries of uh, France or the um, the industries of uh, of Holland as well. So it wasn't necessarily as, um, you know, the war, the, the war zone of Belgium wasn't necessarily as hard, difficult to access as, as you might assume. Thinking about sort of attitudes towards um, immigration in around sort of 1912 to 1914, what, what, were, what were they in Glasgow and how were the, the, the Glaswegian ready for an influx of 8,000 refugees? I mean, the other largest, uh, well, the, I mean, the largest minority community in Glasgow at that period was the, the Irish, um, and then the, uh, there was a, a kind of smaller community of maybe 20,000 uh, Jews who'd lived in Glasgow from the 18, you know, maybe the, the sort of the late 18th and 1900s onward. Um, now, attitudes, Scottish attitudes towards the, the smaller Jewish community tended to be uh, positive. Um, additionally, attitudes towards the, the smaller Italian community tended to be positive. However, attitudes towards the much larger Irish community um, on the basis of religion and competition for working class uh, jobs was uh, on the, you know, overwhelmingly negative. Uh, the Irish population experienced quite considerable uh, discrimination, you know, after 1916 and the Easter Rising, this uh, became, you know, even more um, tense and into the interwar period, um, attitudes towards the Irish in Scotland tend to harden and become um, uh, more race-based, uh, if you like, um, uh, quite an interesting subject, but one which we can't necessarily cover here. Nevertheless, um, despite the fact that Belgian refugees were um, Catholic, um, this tended to, to not really be much of an issue. And I think the relationship of Belgium um, Belgium to the war and Belgium
Belgium's kind of symbolism as you know plucky little Belgium and as the kind of brave Belgian refugees. I think this tended to to motivate overwhelming sympathy for for those who were in here. So we don't see the type of violent um, xenophobia that you might have seen towards the German community um, or um, to the lesser extent you know uh, Lascar sailors or the smaller populations of um, <clears throat> black sailors that you see in the immediate post-war period. Uh, there isn't the same level of um, you know, organised violent xenophobia from the likes of some of the trade unions um, or in terms of mob violence against the German or Jewish communities that you saw during the war. Um, the friendly alien status of Belgian refugees is largely the reason that it tended to be uh, overwhelmingly positive. But of course, there were incidences of, you know, Belgians being beaten up or, you know, being, as I said, mistaken as uh, uh, Germans or those refugees who had maybe additional foreign citizenship. Um, there were quite a number of in Scotland who were actually Italian citizens um, and who came to Glasgow and they sometimes found themselves on the wrong side of the law on the basis that they had registered themselves as Belgian rather than, you know, Italian. So on the basis of this, you know, overwhelmingly um, the the way in which Belgian refugees were seen was positive, but nevertheless there were instances of xenophobia and, you know, ultimately the state and the police um, really perceived Belgian refugees as, as foreign and this is the reason that Belgian refugees were uh, excluded from some welfare benefits, but also the reason that they were um, repatriated so quickly uh, at the end of the war. So what was the legacy of the Belgian refugees who spent the war in Glasgow and how did the city um, commemorate its sort of role after the armistice? So Belgian refugees, um, as I explained, you know, returned uh, the great majority. I think there was only 12,000 uh, Belgian refugees left in Britain after 1918, which is, you know, considering um, it's quite a, a, a relatively small number. Um, nevertheless, um, Belgian refugees were, and their departure from Glasgow and other cities were uh, celebrated, if you like, uh, about, you know, them returning home. There was a great deal of public involvement in this sort of thing. And as Belgian refugees being ra- uh, greeted by crowds into many urban, uh, you know, town environments in Britain, um, they they were similarly kind of uh, applauded as they left and there was a similar sort of public send-off um, and there were as I said exchange of gifts um, but in, in a number of instances there were also uh, you know trees planted or um, monuments set up um, to for instance to to uh, commemorate the Belgians that had passed away um, in Britain um, and in Glasgow what happened in 1918 there was a committee set up to kind of commemorate Belgian refugees and money was set aside for a memorial stone to be put in the Catholic um, cemetery of St Peter's in the East End of the city. Uh, however, sadly, um, that was never actually realised, and the money that was uh, donated toward that cause was uh, later directed towards other humanitarian causes, um, particularly caring for uh, wounded soldiers uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, nevertheless, what you do see is, um, you know, uh, certainly into the 1940s, uh, cases of uh, Scottish soldiers going to Belgium and uh, encountering um, people who'd maybe lived in local communities in Britain and, you know, maybe sending letters on their behalf of, you know, former pen pals they used to have and things like that. So this is this is a, a later aspect. And finally, Kieran, where can people learn more about your work? It, certainly. Um, so there uh, is, this podcast is obviously a great place to start, but uh, there are uh, a number of other blogs that I've written earlier, which I could maybe include in the notes for Refugee History, um, Perth and Kinross Archives as well, um, and Refugee Host, which is another blog all about uh, refugee studies. Um, additionally, um, the Tracing the Belgian Refugees Network, um, an initial 
initiative um, started by the University of Leeds, um, Alison Fell there, um, has a kind of online database for those uh, individuals who are involved in genealogical history to retrace Belgian refugees and where they live across Great Britain. Um, and this, you know, it's got, it's attached to Google Maps. So you can look at Great Britain and see where uh, individual refugees stayed. So if, if, you know, if any of the listeners are aware of um, refugees that did live um, in any local communities in Britain, they can use this resource to uh, record it. Uh, and this has been used by many people um, who've got uh, ancestors came to Britain uh, and are keen to kind of find out a bit more about it in Belgium. Um, uh, additionally, Glasgow uh, City Archives uh, also has some online resources that are available, um, which additionally actually as well. Erin, thank you very much for your time. No problem, Tom. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...